Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Each day, valuable patient data is collected by healthcare systems. When used properly as part of healthcare analytics, this can help drive better outcomes for both patients and providers. However, when data management is not effectively implemented, organizations lose out on these benefits. Terry Meyerson, CEO of Truveta, saw the need to unlock data's potential while still ensuring privacy and security. In this episode, he discusses his company's unique approach, the urgent need for better data insights for treatment protocols, and how AI is creating both efficiencies and concerns when making sense of data. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Terry, welcome to the Data Chief. Oh, thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. It's exciting to have you here. Um, I I normally ask, where are you joining us from? As people like to travel vicariously through our guests. So where are you joining us from? And any cool view that you want to share with us? (laughs) Well, I'm in Seattle, the Seattle area in my house. I'm not sure what would count as a cool view, but um, I'm in my (laughs) office in my home. And uh, no, it's... uh, Trevettas have got a hybrid workplace culture. So we have people in the office. We have people that live, we do have an office. We have people that live all over the country. And it's just a crazy new world where everyone's everywhere. Yeah. Well, Seattle's beautiful. You have a Olympic Park and Mount Rainier there. But as you are joining from your home, I feel like I should ask about the picture behind you. You look like a football fan. Number 12. What am I seeing there? So the Seahawks had t- They've been to the Super Bowl three times. Their second time, I think it was 2000, I should know this, 2014 maybe. But uh, my team at Microsoft, where I previously worked, we all went out on the field and wore blue or white Seahawk jerseys and made the number 12. And it was fun. It was just one of those memorable moments to cheer on the team as the 12th man is called as fans. And so it was just a fun thing to do as a team. Just silly. Silly fun, yeah. silly team memories, silly team fun. But it's actually, it, is, it is fun to look at your, you know, it's a nice photo of the team. I mean, you reflect so much of what we enjoy in our work is the people we work with. And so it's one of those moments that captures, you know, 10,000 people in one photo. So loud, the 12th man, because, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure 2014 is right because as listeners know, in our house, we're Packers fans and you kind of like stole the Super Bowl. <laughs> us. So we're going to get off football now and go back to data. I love the tagline of Truvetta, saving lives with data. Tell us a little bit more about Truvetta um, and how this company, how you started this company. Truvetta really is two founding stories. I think there's there was a group of healthcare systems across the country that for many years had gotten together to say, we have this um, all this patient data that we're collecting during care, but we're not able to ask or answer 
um, these really important questions that make providing care less enjoyable because things are less data-driven, perhaps less accurate, perhaps more expensive, less effective. And so there have been this discussion amongst healthcare systems of what can we do with all this precious data? Privacy is critical, security is critical, but there's so much value trapped in this data. And then in 2020, we had the pandemic and at least the pandemic began. And it brought this problem to the attention to so many more people around the world, including myself. And a colleague of mine had become chief information officer of Providence Healthcare, invited me to be part of a virtual team to respond to the pandemic. And I became aware that our healthcare providers and then was on CNN or public health couldn't ask and answer such basic questions about who should be intubated for how long, which of these many therapeutics Do any of these therapeutics work against COVID, the expensive therapeutics, inexpensive therapeutics, which one should we use? President Trump's getting one, other people aren't getting it. Is anyone else getting that therapeutic? And it became just clear that this is an area that data could serve an incredible good. There's these problems where the data is inaccessible due to privacy, the need to respect privacy and privacy regulations. The data is fragmented. It's stored across virtual systems within a system, but then fundamentally we all see multiple provide providers. So it's distributed across organizations and it's all unstructured. You know, the only thing really structured in medicine is your medical bill. Everything else is trapped within these uh, physician notes, images that are taken. And so you have all this unstructured data distributed across multiple different organizations and symptoms locked down for privacy. But there's this incredible opportunity to transform healthcare. And so the pandemic just made it clear that it was, it was, time, it was time to really invest in solving this problem. Yeah. And, and, and this is, I feel like this story is played out in different industries, even so if I think of the largest systems, probably Epic and Cerner, they originally were created more for tra- transaction processing, a little bit like SAP, um, ECC. Analytics and using the data for insight has always been an afterthought. So it's hard to get data out of these transactional systems. And I remember in the early days of the pandemic saying, I wonder if this will finally be the forcing function to modernize the way we look at these things. And so it's great to see Truvetta leaning in on this. Now, there have been different approaches by different countries even with this. How, How is Truvetta's approach different? Most of the approaches in the United States have been on the what we call the payer side. The insurance companies uh, for years have been selling the medical claims. So when uh, you know everything they pay for, they they sell it. They sell that information to aggregators where you can buy information on what's been paid for in medicine. The challenge with that approach is, you know, you're missing so much information. You're missing, you know, you know, someone got an x-ray, but you don't have the x-ray. You know, someone um, got a lab test, but you don't know the lab test result. You know, the symptoms which lead to the diagnosis, the side effects of of a, a medication, none of that's in the medical bill. And so... With Trivetta, we're not going to the payers. We're going, you know, the data is comes from the providers. It comes from the folks that are providing the care. And so they have all of that information, but it still needs to be de-identified before it's aggregated. And so this, this approach of pulling data together from the provider side is very, very new. 
very, very new. Um, yeah. Pretty much all the other approaches are coming at it from the other side, which is the payer. And it's just a different, it's a different level of depth and information. Yeah. And I also think the payers have the leading indicators like, I mean, my doctor will ask me, how often are you working out? Uh, do you smoke? Do you drink? None of that is in the insurance record. None of that. So I feel like the, the provider. Yeah. Yeah. So the provider has more complete data. But if I think about the data maturity across this value chain from provider to payer, the providers are often running on more outdated systems than the payers. We, we have it a little bit backwards from a value proposition point of view, but are you encountering that? And what do we do about that? In the United States, our medical records are digitized. And so I don't think it's the case, you know, in some countries, you know, major countries, medical records are not digitized, but here in the US they are. And I think the issue on the provider side is the data is not structured. And it's inaccessible. It's locked down due to privacy, and then it's fragmented across providers. I mean, there's three things: the the fragmentation, the privacy, and the unstructured nature. Those are core. Those are core problems that really aren't a reflection of the systems. De-identifying a medical record is very hard. You know, de-identifying a uh, a cohort of rare disease patients is very different than de-identifying a cohort of older, overweight people in the United States with diabetes. There's unfortunately many more people, overweight people with diabetes than there are people with rare diseases, but you need to statistically understand that to de-identify a population. You got all this heterogeneity, you need to provide incentives for people to bring data together. And then the unstructured nature of things. I mean, this is not a, a storage question. It's the fact that all of this knowledge is within the, the notes the doctor is taking. Those those leading indicators, as you just described, those are trapped in a narrative the doctor is taking as, you're, as he or she interviews you. It's not captured in a structured field, you know, mapped to a specific taxonomy. You know, it says, I mean, I'm not going to say, I don't know if you smoke or not, but it doesn't say, there's not like it says smoking <laughs> and you're selecting packs per day or used to smoke or, you know, cigars versus cigarettes versus other things you could smoke. You know, that's all, all of those answers are trapped in this, these unstructured narratives that doctors are taking. And it's only now do we have the technology to take those unstructured narratives and turn that into structured knowledge graphs that we can use for analytics. Yeah. And so for the record, I don't I don't uh, smoke, but maybe my doctor, I would always say I intend to run three times a week. Sure, that's a better example of your exercise level, be a better example than smoking. But I mean, still, it's it's still information that you're giving in a narrative form. Your doctor's interpreting it, you know, is capturing that in some narrative form. But that needs to be turned into some ontology such that my response to that exercise question to me and your, and your, your answer for that exercise question, you know, you could run analytics and compare these, you know, these social, in this particular, these social drivers of health that we're talking about right now, they're real, they have a real impact on health outcomes. Yeah. So, um, so two differences that you've described, one is the semi-structured or text content. The other is that it's from providers rather than payers. If I think globally, um, one attempt that was done 10 years ago out of the UK, care data failed so badly because of patient mistrust 
um, not educating citizens about how their data would be used. They had to scrap it and start over. The this, this second attempt, I think, is doing much better, rebranded, nice. How do you think patients think about this? Is it something they need to be concerned with, or is it really so de-identified that it's just a matter of the providers? Well, we we really invest quite a bit in this de-identification, um, and we have third parties auditing that de-identification. And you know, this is the you know this you know what we're studying is trends. We're you know we're trying to understand you know how you know we all we all during the pandemic how many people had. COVID in a, in a, in your city, in your county, in your geography, what are the comorbidities associated with getting COVID infections, these kind of things. But now apply that to all that knowledge, which we were all thinking about all the time and watching on CNN with COVID now, but think about it with every therapeutic, you know, think about it with lupus or diabetes or colon cancer. Or, or maternal health or Rogaine, some of the articles. Yeah. That kind of population level knowledge is what we are trying to deliver. And I do think patients have an incredible stake in this and are entitled to learn. We, you know, we certainly aspire, we, we do publish quite a bit of reporting today on our, but we aspire to do more. I mean, we're a three-year-old company and there's so much opportunity here. <laughs> there's so much to do. It's, it's an exciting time, but I do think patients are important stakeholders in this, but in terms of concerns, I think this is very, this data is de-identified. We're looking at population we're trying to learn things at a population level. Yeah. And so this is where I often say, whether it's healthcare or even marketing, citizens will opt in when they feel like you are using their data for their good. What they don't like is being um, monetized, made money off my illness or my unhealth or what have you. And so take me through a use case. And I have been enjoying, um, well, maybe not enjoying because it's sad, a New York Times article where Trubetta was mentioned related to maternal health and preeclampsia. Take us through the, the data flows here and the findings, if you will. Well, the findings quite, I mean, it's quite sad, but I mean, it's basically saying that Black and African-American patients have twice as many maternal health issues as white patients. And that's just a fact that we see in the, you know, we're seeing twice as many deaths. I mean, there was an Olympic runner, I think, that passed away this week, you know, a healthy, an incredibly healthy athlete that passed away, you know, eight months pregnant. I was reading in the news this morning and she happened to be black and you know, I think we need to learn why. I mean, why is that? I mean, I think we, I don't, the data doesn't say why that is, but it's very crystal clear that black women are dying twice as often as white women due to these, you know, during pregnancy. And that's just not good. It's not okay. And so it's great to be able to understand those, that kind of population level facts. I mean, this is, this is looking at mortality of people who are pregnant and segmenting by race and ethnicity. And that just happened to be one example. You know, the New York Times also wrote about, you know, we're actually uh, the opposite. The New York Times wrote about minoxidil being a potential solution for balding. And then we saw 
this tremendous uptake of prescription of that medication in the population. You know, so it's interesting how the our mainstream media has such a profound impact on health and the what we all, you know, right now we're studying. There's all of these new diabetes medications and their impact on weight loss, but we don't know. We, you know, actually the clinical trials were for diabetes, not for weight loss. And so now we're actually going and looking at what is actually happening to patient BMI after over what time frames after prescription of these medications? And have there been increase of any adverse events, any cardiac issues or other, you know, concerns that have shown up in people's medical records after taking Ozempic or anything, you know, one of the other medications in that family. And so these are all things we're trying to learn, which I think will really improve healthcare for all of us. Yeah. So, so you start with the insights um, and then, and then hopefully drilling into the insights, you can get to the why, see, see the patterns. Is it something in the genetics or is it something in the lifestyle or that doctors um, don't listen when somebody complains, or maybe they didn't even take somebody's blood pressure because it's not just during pregnancy, it's afterwards as well, where there's a higher risk. I mean, we, we have the data that's recorded during care and uh, de-identified. And, you know, there's research we do, there's research that our customers do. And, you know, nothing we're doing is to enable better sales and marketing. Everything we're doing is to improve care. And so whether it's Pfizer trying to understand the adverse events in their products or Boston Scientific trying to learn about the effectiveness of their products or uh, Providence Healthcare trying to understand, you know, how their care pathways may differ from other health systems and which ones have been more effective or less effective in different situations. That's what the data is being used for. And it's just really quite exciting to see how when you provide this volume of data, so it's actually representative of the United States and allow people to you know, ask questions. It's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. So, so you've been around two years. Tell us a little bit about how much data do you have now or how many organizations are participating? So it's been three years. <laughs> I don't want to discount a year. Three years. Sorry, three, three years. years. <laughs> you know, March 2020 is when this, really, this mission really started for me. And we have 31 health systems across the United States. So in terms of the care those 31 health systems provide, those health systems represent about 18% of all of the clinical encounters that take place in the United States every day. So it's a tremendous volume of data. Yeah, that's great. Now, one challenge that we have with all data is the quality of data. And especially when you're bringing in data from multiple systems that operate differently and that have implemented these transactional systems differently, how hard has that been to clean the data? It's been hard and it is hard. And I think, you know, as we we peel an onion here to some extent, you know, as we build the systems to drive data quality at, you know, outer rings, you know, there's just an endless number of rare conditions and rare, rare situations where, you know, we need to, you know, we're using AI to actually do the extraction of the data to sort of understand the, the ontologies and the schemas of the data coming to us. And then we use AI again to, we call it normalize the data. We're actually quite lucky, I would just say. The, the research community of the world has been building ontologies for human health for decades. Um, 
there's the National Library of Medicine has a number of ontologies out there for body parts. And so Trevetta doesn't need to build the ontology for left knee versus right knee versus your ear. You know, there's this incredible ontology for all the different parts of your body. There's an ontology for all the different ailments that we know. There's ontologies for all the genetic mutations that are known that are out there. And we're able to use those as these, you know, we basically clean the data, as you say, but we take, we take the heterogeneous unstructured data that comes in from your care and we are mapping it to concepts in these industry standard ontologies. And we've built a pretty sophisticated AI model. We call it the Truvetta language model that takes those, all that heterogeneous unstructured data coming from multiple sources and mapping it to these amazing ontologies that have been built in the medical world over many decades. Yeah. So you have these ontologies, you're using AI to clean the data, and yet data is never perfect. So even if you think not just healthcare, but other use cases, some data leaders say, no, don't give access because the data isn't good enough, clean enough, and we risk losing trust. How do you balance needing to get the data out there and recognizing data will never be perfect? Because like, I don't run three times a week, I run twice a week because I travel. So, um, or data is incomplete. I didn't fill something in when I went to the doctor. Well, our approach here is the trans, we think transparency earns trust. And you know, providing transparency, investing in these systems. So the metrics we're using and the uh, the source and the, you know, we're trying to we're continuous doing to invest in that transparency and third, actually in third party audits. To be quite honest, with you. those two things seem to be working together to earn trust. You know, we, I just I learned this morning that a large customer is considering using this data for regulatory filings, and they've hired a third party to come in and audit some of our systems, and we've agreed to that third party audit because. We've got nothing to hide and we would like to earn the trust of that major life science customer in in using this data. And so that's going to be our approach is just we're going to continue to be transparent about everything we can. You know, creating transparency is work. So you got to create documentation. You got to create systems to provide the right instrumentation. And we we embrace these third party audits. I I think but it inspires us. And we think so much good comes from making this data available. I mean, it's not. It's not that there isn't potential misuse. It's not that it's not that we, you know, it's like AI or so many things now in our society. There's so much good, so much incredible potential here to unlock from continuing to invest in making this available and making it available in the right way and being proactive to try and avoid any misuse. But it's worth persevering and trying to keep investing and enabling the research, enabling the transparency, earning the trust, and, you know, just being very proactive about if we, if we, if we identify an issue, let's get proactive, you know, proactive about preventing it. Yeah, absolutely. I like the, ta- I like that phrase, transparency earns trust. And I do think exposing data and, and, communicating where an organization stands on the completeness or on the data quality issues is a way of continuous improvement and trust. You've mentioned AI a few times and also the Truvetta um, language model. 
Trubetta is one of the first to release a large language model that is industry specific. We do think others were going to see an explosion this year. Bloomberg released a financial large language model. Tell us a little bit more about that and how you'll be using it. I think as an industry, we have to get our taxonomy for how we think about these models. Because I mean, at least the way we're thinking about it is, I mean, ChatGPT is so impressive. It's so amazing. And it understands, it seems to understand English. <laughs> I mean, at the most profound level, it seems that you talk to it in English, it speaks back to you in English. It's a really profound breakthrough, I think, in you know, computer interface. I mean, it's just really, this, the potential here just seems profound. Now, ChatGPT, was not trained on that proprietary corpus of data that Bloomberg has with all those equities and stocks and currencies and all that stuff that I think Bloomberg has is, you know, but I'm not a fine, I don't live in the financial services world. Likewise, all of the imagery and clinician notes and actual outcomes from various interventions that take place in the medical world, ChatGPT wasn't trained on that knowledge. And ChatGPT or those foundation models like them are incredible ingredients for us to build upon to enable building a vertical model that really understands to understand what's going on in the progression of a patient as recorded by the in the medical record. And I think you know even you know even more narrowly on top of you know what we're doing I think we're going to see models that are very specific to molecular progressions of tumors, molecular progressions of diseases. You know, there'll be a AI model built that really understands macular degeneration. <laughs> and then that macular degeneration model will live within the context of a larger knowledge model that understands the progressions of uh, patients across comorbidities. And of course, that will all sit on top of a model that understands English. And so I think we're going to see this, this composition of models built around expertise. And I think they're a reflection of the data they're trained upon. So chat GPT, I think, has unleashed the imagination of what is possible and a better way of working with all kinds of data. Now, the the devil is in the details because chat GPT can go wrong. And as you mentioned, it's public data um, using something like that on on private data or industry specific data. I think is definitely um, the the way to go for for industry-specific use cases. So I I think there's so much innovation happening here. As As you embrace this innovation as a company, what are your biggest concerns or what are you solving for as you implement generative AI? You know, for us, when we are taking these unstructured medical records and turning it into a structured knowledge graph, we're using AI. And, you know, there we are constantly tuning this model. You know, we have annotators that are building the training set. There's annotators building our evaluation set. And we're constantly measuring the accuracy of the model. And, you know, we're rejecting iterations on the model, improving the model. And that's something where you know, we've actually published metrics of our accuracy and we'll continue to publish metrics of that accuracy because we know, you know, 100%, humans aren't 100% accurate, but we aspire to, we do not release a model until it's better than our knowledge of the average human expert. But we want to be the best possible in the accuracy of understanding the medical records. I think the place where generate up, the next place for us is we want to help 
answer to the questions that a researcher may ask. You know, when monkeypox was in the news six months ago, you know, I'd love to be able to say, what's the trends of monkeypox in King County? How does this monkeypox trend compare to the COVID trend or the influenza trend in my area? And that's something where uh, there's so many detailed questions. There's so many details you can ask in that thing. But I think we have the opportunity to now provide an answer, a draft answer. That in, And now the thing is, you, at least I think in the current generation, you're going to want a, a subject matter expert to go review the draft answer uh, before it is considered definitive. And so that, you know, for us, we, there's the AI that's run, it's automated, it's at scale. And that's where I feel our team needs to constantly invest in the accuracy. And then there's places where we're facilitating the research where we need to, I think, productivity of the researcher is really the, the key there, but we just need to make sure that subject matter experts are there to review it. I think that's where we're at as a, whereas on the other side, it's our customers aren't reviewing it, you know, our team's off reviewing the model results regularly. Yeah, so publishing the accuracy, I think reflects on your comment earlier that transparency builds trust. And I know that that is one of the things where people are wary about some of the LLMs that when you don't know what the data is trained on and you don't know the degree of accuracy. So I I think that's um, a good takeaway. Terry, I want to pivot. We've spoken about healthcare and Truvetta. I want to go back to your personal journey a little bit. And I, I, you know, you you were a Microsoft executive for 21 years. So to go from a big company back to startup life, I imagine there was a little bit of culture shock. You shared why you did it, but it feels like someone jumping out of an airplane almost. Um, such a life-changing decision to take us through that. In 1994, not to date myself, but you know, myself and some colleagues started, we were excited about the internet. We started a company and then 1997, Microsoft acquired that company. And I, you know, that was hard. And I said, I'll never do that again. And I thought I was going to stay at Microsoft for a few weeks, but I really loved the people. I loved the culture of the company, the scale of the innovation, the resources that were available to innovate. It was exciting. And, you know, I spent 21 years there with some, got to work on some incredible projects with some incredible people. And, you know, can't believe five years ago, I left. And um, it was the right time for me to step out. I didn't really have a plan. You know, I went into venture capital and private equity investing for a while, part-time. I got in good shape. I tried to play golf. I did a number of things. And, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of missed building. I missed having a team and didn't really have the energy to go back into big tech. I mean, I certainly visited friends at all the big tech places and it felt like more of the same of, you know, if I wanted to go back to big tech, why wouldn't I just try and go back to Microsoft where I, where I love so many people and know the product. Yeah. But, but so it was like, I, but it, it, it wasn't exciting. Uh, and it was just this pandemic just, I mean, I like, like so many of all, it was just frustrating. Why don't we have this data? This is crazy. We should have this data. We should know 
whether intubation works and how long someone should be intubated and who should be intubated. We should know whether hydroxychloroquine or remdesivir worked. You know, we shouldn't have the World Health Organization and the president of the United States debating on Twitter whether a medication works. We should be able to actually look at data. I mean, it was really, that was, that's a true story. We had the World Health Organization leader and President Trump debating on Twitter whether hydroxychloroquine was an effective medication. And you're like this, you know, so it just felt there was like this intersection of this is such a worthwhile problem. Why? Why are we in this place? And you come back to this is, you know, privacy, fragmentation, cleaning the data. (laughs) You know, what's the right business model that facilitates all the stakeholders having a high integrity, ethical use cases? You know, we're not selling medical records. They can advertise. No one wants to touch that. And it was just you know, for myself and my co-founders, it was just incredibly energizing to say the world needs this to exist. So, and these health systems have been talking about it. They actually, the health systems themselves came up with the name Truvetta. So it was just, let's make this happen. Yeah. And so if you think back at Microsoft, what is one of the projects or programs you worked on that you are most proud of? Well, my Microsoft career had sort of a phase where I worked on Outlook and Exchange. So this is back in the day. Um, and that of, at the end of that era, I was just started to build Office 365 and go to the cloud. So it's, we're talking really early days. You know, we actually set up the first Office yeah. 365 data center was a rack in a conference room in one of the office buildings and on main campus that we we purchased and started running mailboxes out of in 2006, maybe. 2005. Uh, and, you know, from there, we, you know, I, my career moved to Windows and there, I think Windows 10 was probably, you know, the crowning, but there was Xbox One, there was Windows, there was Surface, Surface Laptop. So this is probably with the gaming. Absolutely no overlap between my work on gaming and Truvetta. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, well, well, there should be, there should be. Listen, because design it has to be, if we can make data easy and fun <laughs> and safe and protecting all that, that, that it, oh, we talk, at Broadspot, we talk gamification to drive adoption uh, and to create a data-driven culture. So I don't know. I would use some of that. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't have said that. There's incredible people I work with on the, from the Xbox team that are at Trivetta. There is the, te- you know, the telemetry system that, really Microsoft uses today has evolved from a data telemetry system that was built within the Xbox team and it inspires the designs from which, you know, we've modeled Trivetta like a telemetry system from the healthcare system. So there are, there are, if you squint, you can see some of the roots of Trivetta in those experiences for sure. But understanding maternal health versus a first person shooter, those are very different. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Then which games I'm thinking of, yeah, the nonviolent games. There you go. Um, so, all right. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that, Terry. Let's do a hard pivot to a lightning round. Favorite activity when you are not working with data and tech? Probably if I'm not working with data and tech, it's either family or taking a nap. <laughs> there you go. Catching up with my sleep. <laughs> one, one word to describe chat GPT. Impressive. How about fill in the blank? Data is critical. Favorite books or mentors that have influenced your work? Oh, gosh. 
you know, in terms of mentors, that's such a broad question for me. I mean, in terms of like the CEOs of the healthcare systems that really got Trevetta moving, the Rod Hockman at Providence or Wright Lasseter at Common Spirit, Mike Sabowski at Trinity. I mean, these guys, I've learned so much from watching them lead healthcare and the challenges and the opportunities that are there. So much mentorship comes from books and writings, reading everything Warren Buffett writes. Yeah. You know, the book, um, The Emperor of All Maladies, which is a book about cancer, just really, or the history of the gene really influenced my understanding of the science of medicine. And look, I, I can't just not list, there are so many people at Microsoft who had such a big impact on me. You know, the current leadership team of Microsoft team, past leaders of Microsoft. I feel like I've been lucky to have amazing mentors in books, in person. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned the emperor of maladies because um, another project and organization that I work with um, through ThoughtSpot is CancerLink. And they also, uh, their CTO recommended that book to me. It's incredible. So um, it's interesting to see that intersection. How about a favorite food or meal that brings you back to your childhood? <laughs> That's nothing like a good cheeseburger. Okay. With with bacon or no bacon? <laughs> no bacon. That's just too complicated. Too complicated. Right. If, you're going, if you're going out, you can get the bacon, but at home, it's, it feels like cooking bacon is complicated. True. A song that pumps you up after a hard day. Anything from Macklemore can't hold us. All right. And then you can choose the final question. Either something of late that has totally made you laugh out loud or... What are you most grateful for beyond, of course, the obvious health and family? That's the Trevetta team. I just love the people. I love the people within the company and the at our member health systems and now some of our customers that are on this mission of saving lives with data. I mean, it's really when you step out and say you're going to try and create something new and then people join you and trying to create it and make it real. It's You're very appreciative. You're very thankful and appreciative of all those people that are leaning into this new reality we see where you can use data. Yeah, I think all of us are rooting for Trivetta and, and a better way of improving patient outcomes and healthcare. Terry, thank you so much for being on The Data Chief. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.